Welcome back for another episode of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to discuss all of the important affairs going on in the sport of boxing. I'm joined by Lavelle Jackson and Daniel Lee. And most of y'all probably know me. It's the man from Milwaukee that holds it down like Monster Cody. You know, I know that a lot of you probably was enamored by those bars that I just spit. You know, so speaking of bars, um, fellas, did you catch the verses between KRS-One and the King Asiatic, Nobody's Equal, a.k.a. Big Daddy Kane? Uh, who did you think took the verses last week? It was interesting because I thought that, you know, Kane would win this one going away based off of, and this is based off of just my own experience in both of them, of them perform. But seeing them th- rock it together and how it went and, you know, the, the, the energy, it, it's hard to say who win. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard because they both have, I know Kane's had more popular hits than KRS one. You know, uh, hip hop heads really, well, when we look at hip hop heads like myself, we look at it as equal weight because, you know, we know them, the my philosophy and the love going to get you and all that, as well as we know, uh, um, ain't no half stepping, you know, we know that stuff. Uh, so, so it's hard for me to call it. I, I still say, say Kane edged it because I don't know. I just like the way he performed a little better than I like the way KRS one does. But man, Karis one. I mean, that's the dude for me. That's that's that dude, you know. So props to, to both guys, man. They, they they both legends to me. The only thing missing, man, they should they should have had a three way with uh, Rakim and put Rakim on there, man. It would have been cool, man. I feel bad because I said I was gonna watch it when we talked about it last, but I was just in a zone and I I was knocking some stuff out, so I just kept it rocking. But uh. I will, I will go back and catch it, but I just didn't catch it live though. Yeah, I see. It was, it was a really good show. It's probably one of the best verses that they had. Definitely um, top three. I thought, you know, all in all, I thought that the fans won because you got a really good performance. Those guys, um, like I said, they're, they're craftsmen, and so you know, anybody that's out there now that isn't putting together a show where they are. You know, putting up, putting on a performance of that level where you had the guys, well, especially Big Daddy Kane, as far as saying all of their lyrics as opposed to just having a track where the lyrics are already on. You know, those guys up there, they they letting you see them sweat. You know what I mean? And they showing you that they really care about every word that they put, you know, in their lyrics. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's meaningful um, and just some good quality music. You know, like I say. Um, we, I had conversations with other people, but what I was saying is that I think that as far as the verses are concerned that, or this particular verse is that, uh, lyrically, I thought Kane was clearer. Um, he had like an overall better performance, you know, bars, he had dancing, you know, different elements of hip hop that he brought to the table. Where KRS, he just had hip hop hit after hip hop hit. I'm talking about like, I wouldn't necessarily call them underground hits, but if you were around at that time, the my philosophies. I'm still number one. Um, step into a world. You know what I mean? Like all it just every song just kept coming back to back to back to back to back. Where Kane had a couple songs where you may have not. They may have not been your cup of tea as far as those songs were concerned. But he performed them so well. You know, like I said, every lyric you heard him. You know, spit those bars. And only thing I didn't like about KRS One was the fact that he did too much of the putting a microphone out to the crowd and let the crowd say his lyrics. And in a situation like that, on a stage like that, in New York, the mecca of hip hop, 
you want to see dudes, you know, spit their bars, you know what I'm saying? And that's the only thing that I thought that he left on the table. So it's just a matter of which did you prefer? You know what I mean? It was just, it was, it was kind of a style clash there, but I would have edged a little bit to Kane, but at the end of the day, I think everybody won, you know, hip hop won that night. Now, speaking about winners, you know, yesterday we had a nice event there on um, ESPN top rank. You had Jamel Herring defending his WBO championship against the fearless one out of Brick City, Shakur Stevenson. Fellas, uh, give us your thoughts on oh, Shakur's performance yesterday. Oh, yeah. And speaking of versus, uh, we almost got, along with that boxing versus we got last night, we almost got a rap versus between <laughs> Quavo and Jada Kiss. You know, Quavo came out and I, I was saying, I was like, hmm, he's rapping right over this, 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 you know, this song with the track. And, and I'm, then I saw Jada come out and I'm like, okay, Jada's Jada about going to do this. He going to rip it. And he came out and kind of did the same thing. I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, this is your chance to show, man, for us old heads, man, that you ain't laying this. So, but he doesn't hear nor there. So let's get into this fight. Uh, Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson uh, for the, the WBO championship at uh, Junior Lightweight at 130. And whew, I wish I could whistle. I'm mean, in my 41 years of life, I still never learned to whistle, but this is the part where I whistle. Like, because <laughs> this was a whew. Kurt Stevenson, he, he let everyone know who he was. And in, in this fight, I mean, after the first two rounds, I mean, I was like, this fight is not going to, this fight is not getting out of the middle rounds. It was looking like Floyd Mayweather versus Arturo Gotti, a mixture of that and Mayweather versus Diego Corrales without the knockdowns. It was kind of looking like the, a mixture of those two fights. And this fight looked like it was going to be over in the mid rounds. Uh, I looked at the, 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 the look on J Jamel Herring's face in, I believe it was between the second and third round. And it, it kind of was like he was discouraged. But before we get to that, I mean, Shakur came out. He was, he threw that jab. He was, he was throwing his southpaw jab. And I didn't notice that he actually is right-handed. So that, that plays to his favor when it came to the jabs and the, the right hooks he was throwing. And, and he, he was just that much. He was beating Jamel Herring to the punch. And once he started doing that, he just kept, he had no reason to really change it up or anything. He just kept doing it and kept doing these nasty combinations. And Jamel didn't it seemed like he wasn't trying to really commit to that jab he wasn't trying to really commit and once uh Chris Stevenson started backing him up it was going to be a, like it was either going to be a long night for Jamel or it's going to end up being a short one but uh I get, I get props to Jamel because I think around the, in the mid rounds when he got to the, about the fifth round uh he started to step it up a little bit and start making it a little interesting on the inside and while he wasn't going to win this fight, and I never even looking at this fight, he wasn't going to win it from what I could see. He made a decision to take, to take a stand, stance regardless and take his shots regardless of what happens. And it made this fight a little entertaining at, at times, but still, uh, Chris Stevenson, it was his show. Uh, he put the, the, the beat down on him. Uh, he got the respect from Herring very, very early. I, I'll say within the first minute, he had Jamel Herring's respect. And, and the fight was just going to be over. It was just going to be down here from there. But, and um, it was just, I think Stevenson was just too much. He was too relaxed. He was too having a good time. 
like I said, Jamel, he he started trying from the fifth round, and I think even some later rounds, I I think uh, he really really tried to to step it up a little bit. So he didn't just accept his beating, but I mean, I think by the time the the, the ninth round it was over, and the tenth round the uh, the ref you know stopped the fight, and it was and I see some people complaining saying you know it was a bad stoppage and saying that. Uh, Chris Stevenson still pillow fisted and all this. He's getting all this criticism. It's like, what more do you want from the guy? Y'all was complaining, saying he was boring. Even I was saying that, like, man, I want him to step it up. He he went ahead. He did it. I mean, what more do you want from the guy? He put on a, a great performance. He put a lot of fighters on notice. I don't. I mean, I would say from one twenty six to one thirty five, a lot of people are on notice. Like, okay, and and, and shots out to Chris Stevenson. You know, he talked to trash and he backed it up and, and, and he did more than what I what I would have asked of him to do. Great fight. I slightly differ a little bit, Vail. You know, I think that it was a good performance based on, you know, the stage that he was on, you know, and he was fighting a title holder, you know. And the reason why I don't like I'm pumping the brakes a little bit, not in terms of what I saw as far as skill. Now, that's one thing. He, he has the potential to be like one of the best in the game. You know, he definitely has that potential, you know, but I can't like, I, I heard them say that because some of the punches that he was throwing and the way that, and, and it looks like he, he patterns himself after Floyd as well. He may have other guys in his game, but at certain points you can see him, how he patterned his punches um, some of his movements after Floyd. And, and I can see what they, they meant when they said the Floyd versus Arturo Gatti, you know. But the only thing is that when you say Arturo Gatti in, in comparison, hopefully that's all you're saying. You're not comparing them in any other way, shape, or form. Because by that time, you know, like guys like Gatti and guys like Corrales, like Corrales was like number two pound for pound in the world, you know what I'm saying? At the same time, when Floyd did what he did to Corrales. So it's, it's, let's, let's hold up a little bit. And then also, we know Gotti, you know, the heart of a, a, a lion, you know, beating guys like Gabriel, uh, um, Tracy Patterson, Teron Millette, Mickey Ward, all of those fights that they had, Jesse James Leha, you know, he was in a ring with De La Hoya and, you know, amongst others, you know what I'm saying? And, and Corrales, he had wins, not at the time he beat Floyd, but eventually he ended up beating Joel Casamayor, Jose Luis Castillo, Asalino Fridas. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it was a good win because I don't look at um, hearing. He was a champion. He was a, a, a really solid champion, right? It's, it's, it's a good win. Don't get me wrong. But I think a couple of things played a factor in it, too. And again, I don't want to take away from the, the young man's performance because he did really well. Because what Shakur has is he has really good hand-eye coordination. So he's just sitting in there. He's looking at everything, hearing. He knows, and he was comfortable, too. I, I remember listening to him about a year ago, and he was all, always asking for those fights. He's like, yeah, I just want to um, take hearing first, and then I want Valdez, and then I want, I think at this time, Barshelt had a belt, too. So he was like, which one he wanted at the time. But he was just so confident when he mentioned um, hearing because they had previous experience of, fighting against each other in sparring sessions. You know what I'm saying? So he knew what he was capable of. But again, a hand-eye coordination, 
you know, I think it took about 45 to 50 seconds for him to like really catch Herring's rhythm and knew that he couldn't mess with him. You know what I mean? Because he just had that speed, pinpoint accuracy, the balance, the counters, the leads. The, he just was stronger, it, it looked like, and more sturdy. Right hands over the top, you know, good jabs. and Or the left hand over the top, really, to be honest with you. The only rounds that I saw that was, that was kind of close was the fourth round. I don't think I could have gave it to Herring, but he made it, um, you know, he was fighting back more. You know what I'm saying? In the fifth round, that could have potentially went to Herring. But when you looked at the punch stats, it looked like, that um, Stevenson like landed maybe one or two more punches, so he may have not even gotten that round. But you know, throughout the fight, Shakur pretty much outboxed him, and he also out fought um, Herring as well. And like I say, for nearly every second of the fight, with the exception of the fourth and the fifth. But yeah, you know, he's still young, so it's it's a lot of things uh, that he still can work on. And I heard Bo Mack and those guys saying that they was trying to get him into deep waters. And he did look like he was starting to fatigue a little bit, just slightly. But once he saw that blood, that kind of gave him a boost of energy. He didn't want to disappoint, you know, people. And he also wanted to shut people up, like Timothy Bradley, by getting a stoppage. So when he saw that blood, he definitely was going for that eye. But all in all, it was a great win for him. That's all I got. Yeah, if I recall correctly, I know Herring was saying his strategy was to, to pressure going in early and, and drag him into deep waters. But... You know, like like you said, Will, um, Stevenson beat him to the punch. And I don't think Herring really realized what kind of power Stevenson was coming with because, you know, sometimes you, I imagine, you know, you spar somebody, you kind of remember who they were when you sparred them. And you, you you know they got better, but you also had that memory of it. And so, uh, you know, his face and his body language was saying, like, these punches hit different now than they did back when, you know, way back when. And, but, yeah, in terms of the fight, you guys pretty much already said it. But I, I only gave Herring the fifth round, and that was, like you said, it was close. But technically, Stevenson won in terms of what he landed. I, I only gave it to him because, you know, there was a lot of clinching. And the, the clinching kind of favored Herring because he kind of put together more offense going into and out of that clinch. And I thought that was probably his best round. Uh, but other than that, for this performance in and of itself, I don't know if you could have asked for a more masterful performance from Stevenson. Um, you know, he caught some flack for his last performance against Nakatila and, you know, his quality of opposition in general. But, you know, at the age 24 and now a legit two-division world champion, and when I say legit, I mean, you know, one of the, the four major, you know, belts or one of the five major belts or whatever, um, I don't think anybody can question his skill. And, um, yeah, I honestly think that the talent is there, but if he continues to back it up against more quality opposition, you know, we might see him in that pound for pound discussion soon. But do you guys have anything else? Only thing I say is that talent wise, he's, he's top pound for pound in terms of just actual raw talent and skills and things like that. Like you said, it's just more so seeing him against, you know, the elite level opposition. And I guess that's what we're going to get into next. But the other thing, like you say, he's 24. And he won't be 25 until June and almost July. So his birthday is June 28th. The interesting thing is that he was born on the same day of Tyson Holyfield too. That was June 28th, 1997. And that's his birthday. But no, that's all I have. Well, you know, like you alluded to, going into our next topic, uh, where do you think Shakur goes from here? Well, I listened to him 
in his post-fight interview, and he wants Valdez, and that's life to me. That should be nice. You know what I mean? Both guys, they like at the top of the division. He's been calling out Valdez for quite some time now. Valdez's excuse has always been like he really doesn't bring anything to the table, doesn't have a belt. And so now that's not the case. You know, I think, um, and then also I heard Shakur say he's not moving up until he gets definitely Valdez, but he wants all of the belts. He wants to be undisputed at 130. So if that's the case, let's say, for instance, Valdez, who's 30 over with 23 KOs, he's still got ropes and Conceicao on problems. So I don't know if they're going to go into a rematch with that, if they're going to mandate it or not. They haven't, so I, I, I highly doubt it. Or... I heard Bob Aram talk about um, Emmanuel Navarrete moving up to face Valdez. So if that's the case, if he's like tangled up with one of those guys, I think the logical next step for Shakur would be the Robert or Roger Gutierrez fight, the 26-3 and 20 uh, KO fighter who just um, beat Rene Alvarado um, in their trilogy matchup in August. So he could collect the WBA belt from Gutierrez. And then if Valdez is tangled up with Conceicao or Navarrete, then they can fight after that, you know? And so that would give him all of the belts. Also, by the time he moves up, those guys at 135 are pretty big, you know, like Haney, Tiafimo, Tank. You know, you never know where Tank is going to be. He's either going to be 135 or 140. Um, and then Ryan is, is, is pretty big for that weight, too. I just think that by the time he moves up, that they will be on their way out, you know. So I don't see him facing any of those guys. The, the only person who I see he may face that's at 135 now, and that's a big name, would be Lomachenko if he's still around. You know, I think Lomachenko may give him that crack that he's looking for. Um, if all of those other guys are not there, then, I mean, what else will Loma be able to do if he's still around at 135? But whatever direction that he goes, it's a lot of good matchups for him. Like I said, a Gutierrez fight can give him that belt, one of those belts he's looking for. Um, the Valdez fight would be a mega fight. And then the other thing, too, is don't forget about Burchell. Like, that might be a fight that they may have before he moves up to 135 as well. It's just as far as Burchell is concerned, we don't know what he's going to be after taking such a devastated knockout loss um, against Oscar Valdez, because that was like horrific, you know, in the way in which he got caught and got laid out. But uh, the sky's the limit for Shakur. Yeah. Top rank will be doing boxing a huge disservice if they don't make that Valdez Stevenson fight happen. Um, like you said, Stevenson has won it since they were both at 126. You know, Valdez does have that Conceicao issue. And, you know, aside from what Bob Aram may try to do with Navarrete, uh, neither has a mandatory challenger. And it's an in-house fight. So um, it, it just makes so much sense to make that fight happen. Um, the IBF belt is vacant. And I imagine that he would fight Gutierrez if the Valdez fight doesn't happen. But no disrespect, but... You know, I don't personally want to see that fight. That fight will probably be, to, in, in my mind, that fight is uh, just a thing that has to happen in order to make the Valdez fight bigger, if that's how Aaron was going to play it. But I think the natural next step is for him to fight Valdez. And, you know, if he wants to unify, because rumor has it that it was hard for him to make weight getting down to 130. And so if that's the case, he's living off borrowed time. And so 
you know, I imagine that he's just going to be there for the belts. And so, you know, maybe their their IBF will create a mandatory, you know what I mean, a mandatory situation where maybe he slides into that. But we all know who everyone wants to see. Yeah, there's a lot of – you guys mentioned a, a lot of the fights that could be made. The obvious choice, of course, is – uh, the fight with uh, Stevenson and, and Oscar Valdez. And of course, if it doesn't happen, it will be a disservice because there is no excuses of being uh, this person on the other side of the street or nothing like that because they both are with top rank. But then again, we, we saw how this played out with uh, with uh, Leo Santa Cruz and Gary Russell Jr., who also with, they were on another side of the street, but they're both with the same promoter. I can kind of see that go on, but I, I, I believe that I have more faith in, in, in the, the Stevenson Valdez fight happening. Uh, as far as uh, Emmanuel Navarrete, I think Navarrete, even though I could see that fight being made too, even after the Valdez fight, I could see that fight being built up and made, even though I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I would like that fight because I mean, Navarrete is, is too small. I think he's coming from really, he's, he's he just moved up from 122 and just had like what, two or three fights at 126. And, and now you're going to put him in there with, with, with Stevenson. I'm not sure I, I would like that fight. Uh, but, of course, right after Valdez, of course, Stevenson should, should unify against, uh, of course, Gutierrez. Uh, but then there's another fighter out there. He was the, 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 the interim WBA champion before they gave it to Gutierrez, and that was uh, Chris Colbert. Uh, and Chris Colbert is still at 130, but, of course, he's with, uh, PBC, but as we saw with you know with in the last couple of months, the fights if the fans want the fights, they can happen. And I wouldn't mind seeing a, a Stevenson Chris Cobra fight. Um, and, and like you said, Will, I, I think a lot of those guys in 135 are gonna they're very very big, and they're probably gonna scatter once uh, Stevenson moves up. And and then again, I think I think even even the ones that stay, I think. Uh, Stevenson is going to be a handful for them, and some of them know it. You know, I mean, if if you can't get these four quote kings unquote to fight, I mean, you think they're going to fight Shakur Stevenson? Nah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I, I see that happening. So the easiest thing to do is is to make the Valdez fight. Yeah, if I you don't mind, I want to say just a few things. One, it doesn't seem like he's going to move up anytime soon, based on his press conference, um, post-fight press conference. He was saying that, like, long-term for him, he said the big fight would be Tank Davis. And so that's something he's pushing for. That's his long-term goal. A couple other things. I didn't mention Chris Colbert because of the fact that they have such a good relationship. You know, I shared a video with you guys. They were on some social media uh, with your other guy, uh, Danny, that's down there in your region. And... You know, they all like so cordial together They you have to basically they have to be mandated for them to have to fight because they have that type of relationship and rapport with one another. Um, so I, I don't see that happening. But look, if they, they want to be there, if somebody wants to be the man at that weight, one of them got to go or they both got to fight. I understand the friendship and all that. Look, Zab Judah and Floyd Mayweather were friends, you know, at one point. I mean, at some point, there's something. Your job is a boxer. You have to put that aside and say, hey, look, we got to do what we got to do. Because this is, I mean, I know they're both probably competitive dudes, you know. So so I don't see why it shouldn't happen. I understand that it might not because of that, you know, their friendship and all that. But, I mean, come on, man. I mean, Ali and Frazier were friends. I mean, 
I don't, yeah, let them fight. That's what I believe. I mean, I, I agree with you. I'm just uh, just based on how cordial they are with one another. And then right. the other thing, too, it just based on what I see from them, it seems like Shakur will fight anybody. I'm not so certain that Colbert would want that fight. I just listen to how Colbert or Colbert, how he thinks, you know. And I, I remember him talking about some of the fighters that they put him in a ring with. And that is like, man, if they don't pay me to do this, he said, I can do this all the time. So his thing is more so that. You know what I mean? Like just getting in there and, you know, I'm sure he wants to be the best he can be, but at the same time, I don't think he's as much of, of, of in a rush. If the fight presents itself and they can make it, he probably would. I just think he's more reluctant than Shakur. Shakur is on, on a totally different uh, round. You know what I mean? And totally different stratosphere as far as his outlook on what he's trying to achieve in a sport. Like he's really trying to be the best and, in addition to like the the revenue that he's generating and getting, he wants to do that as well. But that all time great type thing, that's that's in him. And then on the other other thing about Colbert is, like I said, when I hear him talk about Shakur, I can tell how I want to say reluctant, but he knows what he's up against, and he kind of like defers to. Shakur as being the best indirectly not direct you can just tell in his conversation that he knows that that is the dude you know what I mean where Shakur is like I'm looking for like wall days like dudes like that I'm looking for a tank you know what I mean like that's what he's he's shooting for and he very well should because he has that type of talent but you know I agree with what you're saying that a fighter should want to fight the best you know what I mean and so I agree with you there moving right along we had a fight at Bridgerweight uh, inaugural weight class, which is 224 pounds. We got a title fight between Oscar Rivas and Ryan Riziki. Uh, what do you guys think of this fight? And also, what do you think of the, the, the new bridge of weight uh, landscape through this weight class and how Oscar Rivas will do, do against any other guys who will possibly compete at that weight class? So entering into this fight, you had Oscar Rivas, uh, who's eventually uh, end up becoming 28-1 with 19 KOs. His only loss was to Billy and White against Ryan Rosicki, who um, is now 13-1 with 13 KOs. He is about 200. We came in around 203 pounds where Rivas came in just under the uh, Bridger weight limit of 224 at 222. Um, so, and as you mentioned, that the bridge weight class is between cruiser and heavyweight. And it's for, you know, those smaller men um, and not the giants, you know, to be able to compete against one another. And the other note about that is that the WBC right now is the only division that, or only sanctioning body that recognizes this division, you know, as of now, you know, and like you said, this is the inaugural championship between the two. And um, on a side note as well is that, the weight class, the Bridger weight, weight class was named after Bridger Walker. He was the young uh, gentleman who saved his four-year-old sister um, from a stray dog in 2020. And so in honor of him, they named the weight class after that um, young warrior there. So um, in the fight, you know, that just quickly break down what I saw. You know, it was a solid um, hard-fought victory for Revis, who, um, if he saw the fight, he... Started off really well. He got out early, 
you know, on the scorecard, starting in the first round when he hurt uh, Rosicky badly towards the end of the round. It was like right at the bell. And that bell really saved him. I think that he would have finished him in the first had um, that he had more time. Um, he probably won like the first four to five rounds, but then he got um, not really fatigued and, and things got interesting down the stretch. And so um, it, it, around like around seven, around eight, if you saw that October 9th fight between Wilder and Fury and how Wilder got so tired after the fourth, that's pretty much how Revis fought pretty much the rest of the way. But he did a little bit more. He did a little bit better than Wilder was doing and never was really in like any trouble or anything like that. He just was so tired. Revis may in the future might want to consider not. It looks like he lifts a lot of weights because he's real muscular. And, you know, that typically for boxers you know as you fight deeper into a fight that that's going to begin to wear you down it's only a few times in the sport that i've seen people be effective who were muscular like that and it didn't like weigh them down and the two times that i'm remembering it was like michael spinks he had mackie shillstone who kind of helped scope his body up so he can fight against guys like Larry Holmes and the other fighters that he was able to, you know, defeat, you know, moving up from light heavyweight to heavyweight. And then also, I think um, Evander early on was using Matthew Shillstone when he moved up from cruiserweight to heavyweight. And he started to do that more when he fought against Riddick Bow in their rematch. Uh, when you had the fan man or whoever that guy was um, that jumped in the ring. But he was able to, you know, put on that muscle and it didn't wear him down to the point where he was just so fatigued and tired like Rebus and Wilder was um, in their their matches. But all in all, it was a nip and tuck fight after around the fourth, fifth round. But I clearly thought Rebus um, secured the victory over uh, Rosicki. And so now he holds the, the belt. Now, um, as far as moving forward in the division, it's guys that like this really could be a good division, you know, if guys decide to fight, you know, in that class, you know, guys who are around there 224. I think about guys like Wilder. Um, I know Usyk's been so successful so far at heavyweight that he may not even consider it. But if he wants to add another belt, you know, to his list of accomplishments, then, you know, he certainly could campaign at that weight. You got guys like Michael Hunter. You got, um, Maris Bradis, um, I don't know how long he wants to fight at the cruiserweight limit. And I don't know how long he's going to be fighting. Like I said, he's getting up there in age. And then you got O'Coley, you know, who after he accomplishes everything he's attempting to accomplish at cruiserweight, he might be someone who could campaign at that weight limit and in that weight class as well. So, you know, it, it could be a division that, that has some pretty good fights. I just don't know. I don't, I don't know how um alluring that is for guys who really want that coveted heavyweight belt you know what i mean but also i don't know how those guys are going to be able to compete against those giants like a fury like as long as fury's out there um it's going to be tough for the dudes that i mentioned to beat him with the exception of maybe Usyk would have a chance but those other guys wouldn't but if they wanted to you know grab a strap you know that that, that might be a, an option for them but, you know, as far as the fight was concerned, it was it was a pretty good fight. Kind of got sloppy after Revis got fatigued. But, you know, it was one that you could watch, you know what I mean, if, if, if you know, you, you just want to see some boxing.
Yeah, you, you did a great job breaking down this fight. Um, it was it was decent to watch. Uh, I, when I saw it yeah, after that first round, when he really when Rivas hurt Rosicky, I thought th that he was going to stop him. Probably even in the next round. Of course, he had this reputation of a puncher, but Rosicky, uh, props to him, even as a guy who pretty much a cruiserweight, probably not even meant to be at uh, Bridgerweight. Uh, he, he hung in there and he started pushing uh, Rivas back. And then all of a sudden, Rivas started getting tired. Rivas started, you know, throwing these combinations and hitting Riziki and it stopped hurting him real, real bad. And he was hitting him with some good shots. I thought that's when Rivas started to, to fatigue a little bit. And mid-fight, started getting a little sloppy. Uh, it, it got into this inside, like, uh, grab and push, push around fight where one guy would throw some throw a combination and the other guy would throw a combination and it, it would just go on and on. Um, but it was, it was a, a pretty decent fight. Very, very sloppy. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that Rebass just won this one going away. I thought it was a very, very close fight. It could have went either way. Uh, I, of course I had it 115, 113 to, for, for Rebass. Uh, but I could see this fight being a draw. I, I, some of these fights, some of those rounds in the mid rounds were hard to score. Uh, and, and of course, I gave some of those to Riziki. But it, it was a good inaugural fight for the Bridgeweight division. I mean, maybe it may grow on me. I still have my opinion. I don't want any more weight classes. And, you know, it, it gives guys more of an excuse to say, I don't want to fight this guy. Let me go to Bridgeweight and get me so I can call myself a champion. Um, and I'm never buying the fact that heavyweights are just that much bigger outside of guys like, you know, you had the, the Tyson Furies of the world. And, and and even Anthony Joshua, I don't think Anthony Joshua, I mean, you drop that muscle, that extra muscle he's carrying, he's probably really not that big. He's just tall. Um, and, of course, someone like Wilder could probably make cruiserweight. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure that that heavyweights are just that much bigger. I know, I, I believe they're taller, but... I think some of them just not in shape like they used to be. I mean, they don't have that 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 cardio drive anymore, you know. But uh, we'll see what happens in this division. It'll be interesting to see who decides to partake in it and who doesn't. I think that's going to really set the stage to what happens uh, in this weight division. Uh, any other uh, thoughts? Yeah, I'll just add about the weight class in general. Um, I was initially kind of skeptical about it, but I do think it could, like some intrigue could develop because – you know, a lot of one, you know, we have some talented cruiserweights who may be moving up to heavyweight soon. But two, you know, we have some guys that are already in the weight class that could compete for that. But I think that at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to it being sort of like collateral in the sense of like, you know, say you have like Wilder and Usyk fight and they both, you know, you have this belt. So it's like, OK, we have this fight that's potentially big. Might as well throw this belt in the mix. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it's hard to be because, you know, you had those those glamour divisions like heavyweight and it has such a history. It's hard to see something like this coming in and really disrupting it. But we could get some good fights out of it. And that's kind of pretty much my expectation at this point. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Danny, uh, I totally agree. Um, only other thing that I was going to mention is this, is that this fight really you know what you're trying to do is you're trying to avoid like a big guy fighting somebody let's say somebody like around 250 fighting somebody that's 210 right 220 you know especially if that 
250 pound guys in some shape. That's just naturally that size. But I think what they did in this fight is they created pretty much the same problem. Because if you look at the weights for this fight, Riziki came in at 202 or 203, where his opponent came in at 222. So it's like a 20 some pound gap. You know what I mean? So, and then Riziki really should just fight a cruiserweight. It's 200 pounds. Like he just dropped two more pounds and he's at cruiserweight. It, and it didn't look like the way he's built that that would be an issue. He's fought at cruiserweight pretty much his whole career. So I was just thinking like maybe if guys were like really around 224 that they would be fighting each other, they'll sanction those type of fights. But you're really creating the same issue um, if you have guys that's 20 pounds difference in weight allowing them to fight against each other. Well, for what it's worth, th- this one may have been an anomaly because so Brian Jennings was supposed to fight for that belt, but he didn't like he felt uncomfortable with Canada's like quarantine policy for unvaccinated travelers. And so Riziki basically took the fight on three weeks notice and moved up to Bridgeweight. You know what I mean? So it's possible that if he would have had like a full, you know, camp or whatever, he would have come, come in heavier. Or if they had like somebody entirely different that was already at heavyweight and just had to like stay within that limit, you know what I mean? It'd be different. So this may have been an anomaly, but you know, it could, like you said, it could very well still create that same issue. Right. You know, and I appreciate you. You enlightened me on that. I had no idea Jennings was, was scheduled to fight in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think it's, it, and like you said, it's going to create the same issue. You're going to have guys who fluctuate around. Like you're going to have guys who naturally are 210. Then you're going to have guys who drain themselves to be at 224, who who be in the ring and like gain like 25 pounds and just going in the ring at like 250. I can see that happening. And we and a good comparison is what is kind of what we see in UFC, where you you have the heavyweight division actually has a limit. And that limit is 265 pounds. And you see guys who are like, you know, 240 and all that. But then you see guys who are boiled down to 265 and they list the way it's 265, but they're walking around in that ring like weighing 290. <laughs> so I can see that happening in the bridger weight division also. But, you know, this is our predictions. We won't know until we see. And, and, and like I said, I'll be interested to see who participates in this division and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the other thing, too, even if Jennings um, backed out, right, I just think from an optics standpoint, for this being the inaugural championship fight that they have, that you would want to have it a little bit more closer in weight. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they, it's not that big of a deal as far as this belt is concerned to postpone it and push it back, you know, until you can find somebody who is actually Revis size, you know what I mean? Because you don't want to create that problem moving forward, but you know, we'll see how things go in that division. Okay. So our next topic, um, you know, you got the, I want to say December 5th clash between Tank Davis and O'Reilly uh, coming up and they, they set it off with the press conference, uh, their first press conference. Uh, what did you guys think about the rollout of this bout that's going to take place Sunday, December 5th? We kind of knew it would be this way. You know what I mean? Like, we we, we, we kind of knew that the, the real action was going to be with the exchange of words leading up to the fight. But 
if there was one place in this whole thing that I thought really would shine, it would have been with the trash talk and the pressers. Um, but what we saw was he kind of had nervous energy, like his body language is off. Um, this was the first time since I've been following him that it didn't seem like he truly believed what he was saying. I don't know if it was because he wasn't used to that type of stage or because there's like a genuine fear of tank. But when you're in his position where you kind of talk your way into these things, you can't really afford to talk your, you know, you can't really afford to fumble over your words if your mouth is what gets you here. And even in the face-off, you know, his body language just looked off. Like, I just got nervous energy from that. And then on top of that, not to get too far off subject, but on top of that, you know what I mean? I'm just on the on the Twitter scrolling, scrolling the timeline or whatever. I saw he tweeted on Friday some along the lines of, uh, which trip club should I go to? Now, I don't know if that's a standard thing that boxers do, you know, six weeks out from the biggest fight of their life, but I do know that you typically drink and maybe eat some late night, some bad late night food when you make a, you know, like a rendezvous like that. And maybe he knows something I don't, but it just don't seem like something a fighter should be doing so close to the fight. And so I don't know where that man head at right now. Yeah, what I saw, I mean, you know, like you said, we, we kind of knew what we what to expect. But the positive thing for them is that this is going to generate a lot of revenue, you know, regardless of whatever comes out of Raleigh's mouth or Raleigh's mouth, it's still going to be something that's going to entertain social media minded people, you know, and so it's going to draw more interest into the fight and they're going to need it because the day that they're fighting is Sunday night. So this is not like it was before, like pre-football and all that type of stuff. So you're going to be going up against Sunday night football. You're going to be in LA. And I'm not sure if the Lakers or somebody like that play around that time as well. So they, they have to compete against that. But if they, with this type of circus that they're having, uh, it's definitely going to generate um, a lot of attention, a lot of eyes to see what's going to happen in this matchup. I personally, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. I just would like to see a little bit more maturity out of the guys and just the way that they are, especially like with Tank. Like Tank, he doesn't have to play into the roly game, you know, and I, I see it in him. He's more mature. I've seen him in other interviews that he's showing me a lot more maturity, but like at the press conference, using the N-word so excessively. You know, I just thought it was like very childish of those guys, the way they were conducting themselves. Like this is a championship fight, you know. you know, It's a certain decorum that you should have. And don't get it twisted. You know, you talk your talk. You let your opponent know what you plan on doing to them. I have no problem with that. But it's just a way that you go about doing it. And I didn't like the circus nature of the event. This is like a um, Jake Paul type, <laughs> you know, event that you have going on. Um, I think Tank is going to come out a winner, though, because at the end of the day, he's going to knock the mess out of Roley. And the last thing I do want to say is this, is that, see, Roley is, he's just a, a microcosm of what we have in society. He, he's another one where it's one thing to be social media talking crazy and, you know, guys have that, you see that more often where people are more willing to say stuff to people on social media that they wouldn't say to them in person. Also, the fact that you may interview that person and then they still talking crazy, still talking all of these things. They never really around the person 
that they are talking crazy about. Now, you put that same person in front of the person that they've been talking crazy about, you'll see a totally different energy. And that's what you saw the other day. Now I'm really here. Like I messed around and I ended up getting what I asked for. And so now that Tank's in his presence, Tank has a certain demeanor about him. He has a certain seriousness about him that Roley wasn't, he didn't factor that in by him actually getting about. And so for me, best case scenario is I hope Tank does what I anticipate him doing, putting him to sleep, because I don't like that part of society where people think that they control and all of this type of stuff. What is that, man? Like, you talking about you trolling, man? I'm a grown man. I ain't with no dang on troll. I'm with facts. I'm with, like, the truth. Like, don't sit up here and play around with me. Don't play around with my name. You understand what I'm saying? So I hope Tank um, does what he's supposed to do in that regard where, and that's another thing, too. Like, people playing with boxing, bro. Like, you can't play. They, they doing too much allowing not just rolling, but these other dudes to get in the ring, get these paydays and stuff like that. And they not really put, they didn't put in the work. And some of these guys been boxing since they five, six, seven years old, they putting in that work and you allowing them, you know, to jump up and make these huge paydays. Like that's disrespectful. Like what other sport can you do that in? You can't just go and, Oh, I want to play Shaquille O'Neal. I want to play LeBron and you know, all of that. And then you get paid to do it. Like they making a mockery out of things. So you know, I'm on Tank's team in terms of doing away with somebody like that, but I don't think that that's the reason why they put this fight together. They just know that they can fool a lot of people, um, and they fool people by positioning Roley in the right fights to position himself where he can get a Tank fight, where that's another easy payday for Tank, and he's going to get handsomely rewarded for it. But, um, you know, just to sum things up, I just thought it was a circus. Hopefully these guys will mature, you know, enough where they just conduct themselves a little bit more professional. Yeah, yeah. I, I checked this this uh, press conference out. It's interesting that this fight is happening. But I thought this press conference was kind of, you know, you can see that nervous energy in, in Romero. Like, he hasn't been there before. And uh, But they produced some some interesting lines. Of course, really, he, ba- he pretty much – repeat it over and over again tank you gonna get knocked the f out and this and that and talked about his head say he's a you know he has a big head with t-rex arms and it's funny because even tank was laughing at that one and and uh and when i look at tank and what he when i listen to what he's saying and his demeanor and everything he's like this guy doesn't even belong in there with me and he knows it and it's not it's probably not even a fight that he wanted (laughs) this is a fight that romero talked himself into and the promotion was and they they did they went after it. They, they saw Romero is, is, you know, he's popular on Twitter. He, he got a lot of people talking and eyes on him. And, you know, he has some punching power. Um, so it, for them, it's, it's not like a no-brainer. And then you have the public that's more, as far as boxing in general, is they're more uh, uninformed than the average boxing fan. You know, you know they're, 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 they're uninformed enough that, when, when someone like Floyd Mayweather gets up there and say, these are two great fighters are going to clash and not this, this stuff. And they don't, they don't see through that. They, they think, Oh, Romero. Yeah. You know, it is as a boxing fan it's like, man, it's a lot of guys that, that probably deserve that spot against tank and didn't get it. Um, and if talking is all you need to get, get, you know, get a fight with tank Davis, there was a guy, I don't know if people remember, but there was a guy, a couple years ago, 
that used to talk about he wanted the, the, the fight with Javante Tank Davis when Tank Davis was at 130. And he saw Tank, he used to, he used to catch Tank, you know, out, outside and stuff and, and go up to him in the mall and say, Look, when are you going to fight? When are we going to fight? But that fight never happened. That guy was Tevin Farmer. And it was a, that was a fight that I thought would have been an interesting fight at that time. And now we can, we can say, yeah, Tevin Farmer, he lost this fight or that fight after that or this and that. But the fact of the matter is, he was talking just like Raleigh was talking, and he wasn't considered for a fight. You know, but we don't, we don't get it. If all they want is an entertaining fight, it's going to be entertaining for as long as it lasts. It's going to be a crazy knockout. We've already covered what we think is going to happen in this fight. And, and Tank basically was correct. He called him another Jake Paul. And, and to an extent, he's correct. And I'm not going to be disrespectful, dis, that disrespectful to Raleigh because Raleigh is a professional fighter. You know, he, he's been an amateur. He's trained. Uh, uh, he's, he's been getting in the ring. You know, he, this is what he's been doing from a young age. You know, so I think it's kind of unfair to call him, to say he's exactly a Jake Paul. But I understand what they're saying. You know, he's a guy who doesn't deserve the spot that he's in. There's a lot of fighters that deserve to be on pay-per-view, but they're not, you know? So, uh, and then they're, they're arguing about sparring sessions and what happened in their sparring sessions. And I'm like, this is just just crazy. And, Will, man, I'm, I'm just like, why do you have to be right? Why did you have to be right on this one? <laughs> you were right, and I give you props, but why did you have to be right? Tank has an interesting dichotomy that he's dealing with and trying to promote this fight because Tank, Tank is a is he he's a he's a truth teller by by nature, and so he wants to point out that Raleigh isn't on his level and he doesn't deserve a fight. But the dichotomy is the the logical question: Then why are you choosing him? You know what I mean? There's other people out here to fight, so he has to. You know, it's it's the fine line that he has to play and push in order to justify why he's fighting this dude who doesn't deserve to be fighting him. And like you said, not only did Tevin Farmer call him out, what about Gary Russell? Gary Russell's talking real grease. You know what I mean? Devin Haney, they had like a, a back and forth going on. Why not fight them? You know what I mean? Especially like a Haney or somebody like that at 135 because you're fighting at 135 now. You know, before he was saying he wanted to move up to 140. He was going to be fighting there. So that's the interesting thing about it. But a lot of people just overlooking that piece. You know what I mean? Like, well, why you choose him? Like, if this dude is on your level, and we all know he's not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but at the end of the day, people overlook that. And they look at the brash nature of, you know, rolling. And they, they like that. You know what I mean? They want to see what happens. And some people buying into it. You know, I'm hearing people say, I don't know. It's just a matter who get caught first. And, you know, first five rounds, Tank going to be, you know, he got some, you're going to have to worry about, you know, that power. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, as soon as he touched that chin, it's going to be all she wrote. You know what I mean? And I don't know. You know, hopefully you got uh, what they fighting in L.A. So hopefully L.A. Presbyterian uh, Hospital, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they got some beds ready, you know, some oxygen. Uh, <laughs> That's all I got. Only thing I'll add is, you know, you asked, you asked why, why did Roley get the fight? And I think that you, you kind of answered in the sense that, you know, you were saying you hope they get a little bit more professional, but I think that's why he got the fight. You know what I mean? Because he wasn't being professional about it. You know, like, you know, your farmers and your, and your Russells, they were a little bit more, they had that like 
built their respect. Like they didn't come out of pocket, you know, when they came for him. Meanwhile, you know, in this era where, you know, boxing is media entertainment, you have this guy who nobody really believes, but is entertaining enough to be out of pocket and, and not self-aware enough to be out of pocket. And he, he got the fight being unprofessional. And so he's getting the biggest payday of his career being unprofessional. And so like you, you see him getting positive reinforcement for being a professional. And then it's also like, well, who else is going to see this and be like, Oh, that's how you get the bag. You know what I mean? And so it's like this, this cycle. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, I agree. But Gary Russell wasn't that professional when he's saying, you know, I F that boy up. You know what I'm saying? And he was going on his rants once, you know, when we had, um, like, the pandemic was going on. And he was, especially when Devin and um, Tank had their back and forth. Mm. And the way he was approaching it, <laughs> like, he was talking so greasy to them dudes. I'm like, man, why <laughs> – Shut dude up, you know what I'm saying? Like he talking a little too spicy, you know. But right. you know they ignore it. They, they ignored old uh, Mr. Gary Russell, you know, when he was saying what he was saying. But again, you go down to fight uh, Leo Santa Cruz, you could have went down there to fight Gary. And like I said, those are like huge fights, especially the DMV and, and Baltimore. Like that's gonna be a, a barn burner. You are gonna have that's that's legacy type stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Like that's just something that. In this area, that's already a rivalry, Baltimore and D.C. You can't even talk to somebody from D.C. and say, man, I'm going to Baltimore this week. Why are you going there? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they don't even like each other to that degree. And so if you put that fight together in Philly, Baltimore, like those, he, he should have been took care of those things. But that's the reason why also with Tank, that's why I haven't fully bought in to mm-hmm. him overall, because if he was all that, they would have been um, – took some of those fights oh, yeah. I was gonna say that that was the second thing I was gonna say you know what I mean like okay you got you got to talk and then it's like all right well, well, well out of these people talking who's the threat you know what I mean but <laughs> that's another convo for another well we've already we've already talked on that so well, we got to December 5th we might we might um roll this topic out one more time yeah yeah but speaking of talk after that Wilder Fury fight you had two of those other guys at at the lightweight division, Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez. First, there was the post-fight interview between the, the two of them. And then there was some talk in the back that they kind of like went back and forth on. Uh, what'd you guys make of that one? I'm just like this, man. Either they're going to fight or they're not going to fight. I, I don't want to hear about dudes getting... It, it was interesting. If you saw the, the, the confrontation after the Wilder Fury fight, post-fight, it's like they're arguing over, they're saying, oh, you don't want to fight. No, you don't want to fight. No, you don't want to fight. It don't matter who don't. Somebody send, send, send some contracts over. <laughs> send the contract over. I, I, I want, we don't want to see y'all arguing over who wants to fight, who don't want to, want to fight. And it's, it's kind of sad that it came to this, that guys just can't make the fight. And, and even at the end of the day, I mean, what, what are they talking about? Because Tiafimo Lopez has a fight coming up, you know, and well, and after that fight, I mean, that's when it's more open to, to who's going to fight who and what's going to fight what. But saying, I, I understand from, from looking at from looking at objectively and saying, OK, I've never seen anything from any of these guys. I'm just going to look at it like that. Both guys are saying you don't want to fight. So obviously. They both saying they want to fight. So make the fight happen. Simple as that. Just make the fight. Stop talking. 
We don't need to build nothing up. You ain't hear Tommy Hearns trying to build up a fight with Sugar Ray Leonard. He didn't have to talk his way into a Sugar Ray Leonard fight. They made the fight. He was, what, 22, 23. Make the fight. Well, you know what? One thing that I will say is that based on what I'm seeing and the fact that Eddie Hearn was even involved in, in that back conversation that they had, and the fact that Eddie Hearn was you know, kind of in the mix in that conversation they had backstage. I think that it's a positive in the sense that out of all the young guns we want to see fight each other, I I genuinely believe this one has the biggest chance of actually playing out. I didn't pay that whole, like, you don't want to fight, you don't want to fight stuff. I didn't pay that mind because the, the reality of it is, you know, it's been about a year since T.O. fought Loma. And the reality of it is Haney fought last November, December. And then Haney fought in May. And Teal's been tied up with the whole trailer drama with Cambosos. And so over the past year, like it don't matter who didn't want to fight because the fight wasn't gonna happen. Teal had the he had the mandatory tied up. Or he was tied up with that mandatory. And so what I think is important is that again, one of the promoters was involved. And then also. I don't know how it works behind the scenes, but I believe that top rank and Matt Shroom have to work together in, at least in some capacity for the Lopez and Cambosos fight now, you know, because Matt Shroom won that, that purse bid, but Lopez is a top rank fighter. And so the foundation for those two promotional companies working together has already been laid. And so moving forward, I think this is important because what we can see now is a scenario where, you know, Lopez has expressed interest in being the undisputed and then moving up. And so what we have now is a situation where Lopez can handle business against Cambosos in theory, and Haney can handle business against Diaz in theory. And then in the summer of next year, we might have this thing where, you know, the winner is undisputed and maybe Lopez rides off into the sunset and moves up to 140 or, or what. But I think that, you know, as much talking has happened, I think that it was a positive, like a, a talk and a, a step in the right direction. All right. So what I gathered from the interview when I checked it out, it's going to sound a little harsh for OTO. You know what I'm saying? Because what I gathered just based on this interview and what I see of them just related to one another. To me, Haney is a person that speaks facts. While T.O., he speaks more so to save face. Devin is, is fact-driven. Lopez, on the other hand, is more conjecture. What I mean by that is that he has opinions formed on the basis of incomplete information or misleading information or deceiving information. Simply put, all cap, ladies and gentlemen. So, T, other thing too, Tio likes to talk about Haney when Haney's not around, but he appears to be very uncomfortable when he's in Devin's presence. I've seen this twice. Also, Devin, to me, wants to make the fight based on his actions, the way he's talking, and then Tio doesn't want to make the fight based on his action and how he talks about Devin. Now, as far as the interview, and, and let me get a little bit more um, to the point. The interview highlights, what I saw, what stood out to me. Devin came out the gate, letting everybody know that you don't have to hold T.O. They was like, you know, we, we might have to hold these guys back. It's like, you don't have to hold them back. He ain't going to do it. 
MF thing to me. You know what I'm saying? Setting the tone, you know, letting people know. And I like that too, because I remember I was playing a game of basketball. I was over there in Louisiana and this dude thought I fouled him too hard. And he was like, man, you following a blah, 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 this and that, or somebody elbows or something like that. And so the other dudes were trying to hold him back while he was talking. I said, man, don't hold him back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let him go. You know, because I ain't worried about him doing anything. You know what I mean? He, he mess around and, and, and touch me. We're going to have to find a hospital where his hands is going to be. You understand what I'm saying? So I like how Devin set the precedent early in an interview. He ain't going to do a dang on thing to me. And so as the interview proceeded, T.O., he said, he told Devin, he says, you're only relevant through me. And so Devin's response, he says, and typically I don't like the social media angle, but he says, how is that the case when I have more followers on social media than you? Boom, that's a dart. T.O. responded. He says, man, I got more belts than you. So what, how does Devin respond? He says, you know, I make more money than you. So then T.O. says, no, you don't. So what does Devin do? He pulled out the receipts. He said, man, um, where Eddie at? He said, uh, let's ask Eddie. And T.O. didn't want any of that. And so T.O. starts talking about, um, so this is what's wrong with society, blah, 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 this and that. Now, typically I would agree with him, but not in response to what he had just said. You know, I think that that is a, a very valid point that you're making. If you're saying that you're more recognizable than me, you're more known than me, then my proof that I am is the fact that I have more followers than you. So then, um, then Devin was saying, let's make the fight. So he the first one saying, like, let's make the fight then. And like I said, I think Devin is the bigger draw. I think T.O. miscalculated by his win over Loma thinking that he's more popular than he actually is. Um, and then we also talked about previous um, segments that we had on topics of this nature about these two when T.O., had the belts and he was saying that he didn't have to fight Haney and all the guys that he didn't have to face because he's the ones with the belt. So then what Tio eventually said was, again, trying to save face. And he keeps talking, not to Devin, but he's talking to Chris Mannix, the guy from, I wanna say he's with the zone. And so he said that um, the reason why I got all of these belts is because you dudes were scared to fight Loma. How did Devin respond? Devin said, then how did I get my belt? And what I mean by misleading information or incomplete information, he left out the fact that how did Devin get the belt? So you saying that he, scared, he was scared to fight Loma. Loma had the belts that Devin has, right? He has the WBC belt. And so eventually um, he said that, you know, he got kind of fed up. So which to me leads us more so to the fight actually being able to happen because he got, kind of got fed up and he was saying that, you know, he was going to fight Devin early next year because he's getting sick and tired of him. So I thought that, you know, as far as the objective of stirring up, you know, the, having this fight take place, you know, I think that they did a good job of that. But at the end of the day, like I said, I just think Devin is the one who really wants it more, you know, and I think those other guys are avoiding him and not just, not just, um, but I see it in him. Like I, I can read the body language and see. The other thing that I want to point out is that Tio also said in there, he was like, um, this is weak. You know, this, this, this is, you know, what we're doing as far as this back and forth. That that's another thing that just baffling to me because no, that's great that you're doing that because it's free promotion. You did the same thing when you got in the ring um, with Lomachenko to set up your fight. 
You know what I'm saying? You want to do those things to generate more revenue, to put more eyes on it, to have people talking about it. So that's going to uh, make your pockets fatter. So like I say, all in all, I think that, um, I kind of think that Devin is in, in Lopez's head a little bit too, but you know, that's pretty much what I gathered from what happened um, in that interview. Anything else you guys have? Nah, is make the fight or don't make the fight. All right, but I think the next topic we want to address is the fact that, you know, speaking of Haney, that him, as well as Jojo Diaz, agreed basically in principle to fight the day before Roley and Tank are going to fight. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on, on a matchup between Devin Haney and Jojo Diaz? Devin Haney versus uh, Jojo Diaz. Um, this will be an interesting fight. Um, Jojo Diaz is a tough customer. We saw his fight with uh, Gary Russell Jr. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Um, he did give Russell a, a really, really hard fight. Um, and, and also, it seemed like he was having some weight trouble, so he bounced around between 130. He went up to 130, and now he's at 135. Now you have uh, Devin Haney, who pretty much is – 135 is pretty much his starting weight, and he looks like a guy who is pretty big for that weight also. He's kind of training down. So I do think size may play a factor in that, but Devin Haney is the type of fighter. He, he relies more on uh, his boxing ability and boxing skill, more so than he does his actual size or, or, or uh, physicality. Now, he's, he is capable of fighting on the inside, doing some rough and tough stuff when he needs to. But more so, that's not what he relies on to his go-to. He, he's pretty much a, a boxer, a mover, who, who happens to look like he probably should be at 140. So I think that's going to play into it a little bit. But Jojo Diaz is a tough customer. That's why I say I don't think if this fight were to happen, it it's agreed to, that uh, I can't see Devin Haney stopping Jojo Diaz, but I do think he's going to win a decision. And, and uh, a comfortable decision, I would say, is, is it'll possibly be a, a – a 9-3, I think a 9-3 decision is what I would predict. Yes, sir. So you got Devin a dream. Haney, 5'8", 22 years old, young man, 71-inch uh, reach, 26-0 with 15 KOs versus Jojo Diaz. He's 28 years old, 32-1 with 15 KOs, 5'6", 64-inch reach, and he's also a southpaw. Haney's coming off that. I thought it was a pretty nice victory with the exception of getting stunned a little bit by Jorge Linares. That's his biggest victory on his resume. Jojo Diaz is coming off the July 9th um, unanimous decision over always tough Javier Fortuna. And like you said, um, one of the other notable fights that, that Jojo had was against Gary Russell. I thought that he put up a really good performance against old Gary Russell um, at certain points. I was like, Damn, how is Gary Russell going to be able to take those body shots, but consummate professional. You know, took the shot, body shots, came back with his own stuff and uh, won a pretty clear decision against old JoJo out here at the MGM um, in the D.C. area. As far as skills are concerned, you got Haney. He's one of the best boxers, you know, in the game. He's like a Shakur uh, Stevenson to a certain degree. I'm talking about just pure boxer skills. Likes to stay on the outside, picks his, picks his shots well, excellent jab, great footwork, great skills. You know, pretty slippery defensively. And often pie starts his opponent once he gets them, you know, once he gets their, their, their timing down. Um, biggest weakness, you know, we all know that he lacks the pop, you know, he lacks the power in his punches. Jojo, on the other hand, he's really good um, body work. Like I said, I, I just mentioned the, 
the um, Russell fight where he was just pounding the body. He does that a lot. Tevin Farmer fight, he, he was doing the same thing. I mean, all of his fights, you know, he's really good when it comes to throwing those nice, solid body shots. Former 130-pound um, champ, IBF champ, you know, and Haney currently holds the WBC belt. Um, I thought that he was outworked a little bit by Russell, you know, but in that Farmer fight, he was just out hungered. Tevin Farmer, you know, to get that IBF strap about a year and a half ago. And I mentioned this um, previously when I talked about JoJo, that he has a, a, a somewhat of a history, you know, back in the amateurs with Tank Davis. So I, I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if he was able to get a victory against Haney, that that would be something that would be looked at by uh, Mayweather Promotions, um, a showdown with him and JoJo, uh, because I think that that would be ideal because, the biggest difference between the two is that Tank can crack with both hands. And if both of those guys slugging it out, I just don't think JoJo would have enough power to be able to keep up with Tank, although he would have his moments until Tank um, puts him away. But that's we, we, that's a whole other conversation. And I'm jumping the gun because I don't think JoJo is going to get out of this fight without taking another L. So the li likely outcome, I see um, Haney winning something similar to you, Vail. I think something like a 117, 111 type decision. I think just based on his style that he's going to cause Jojo fits. You know, I haven't seen Jojo fight a tall, rangy boxer, you know, before, you know, and he'll be fighting one of the most skilled boxers in the game. I think Haney's going to use his height and reach advantage, 5'8 to 5'6, and then he's also going to have that seven inch reach advantage. Now, that sometimes, you know, guys have those advantages, and Haney is going to use those advantages because that suits his fighting styles. It's just naturally how he fights. You know, he isn't a tall fighter who fights short. You know, he's going to fight at a distance. And I just don't see many openings for JoJo. If a fighter is, is, is in range, JoJo is a problem, especially with those body shots. But I just think that he's not going to have those opportunity to get opportunities against Devin. So, like I said, my prediction is a 117-111 type decision for Devin to train Hayden. Now, for what is worth, Diaz originally wanted to fight Ryan Garcia, but Garcia's out with a hand injury. And this was despite after his Fortuna win, him being the mandatory for Haney. And so it's kind of come back full circle. Um, now, as far as who wins, I, I just say that I think there's kind of levels to this. And they're both solid fighters, but I just believe that Haney is a class above Diaz. My only concern would have been if Diaz had the kind of power that could catch Haney and seriously hurt him. But I don't think he's going to bother Haney that much in the power category. Uh, like you guys alluded to, I think that Haney is going to use that reach advantage and that height advantage, and he's going to be pretty masterful with his boxing. I think it's going to be a very solid boxing match, but I do think that Haney's going to run away with a unanimous decision. I can see, I can see one seventeen, one eleven as well. So I'm a, I'm gonna go with one seventeen, one eleven. But I think it'll be a good fight. I think that out of who was available, you know, what I mean, this probably would have been the best fight for Haney anyway. And I think it'll be a good fight, hopefully leading to that uh, that unification. So we'll see. Last thing we want to touch on with the Alexander Usyk rematch coming up, Anthony Joshua is looking to make a head trainer change and has been he's been flying around the U.S. to visit several big name coaches, including Eddie Reynoso, Virgil Hunter and Ronnie Shields, to name a few. Now, the news outlets are kind of reporting Shields as a favorite, but. Who do you think that he should train with and who gives him the best chance to win this immediate rematch? 
that's this is an interesting question because I don't I'm not sure if the problem is actually his training or his coaching. I think the problem is Anthony Joshua. And and not so much like it's his fault or anything. I think it's something mental that he needs to overcome. And I and maybe a trainer can can fix that, maybe, but maybe they can't. So I what I don't want to see is Anthony Joshua being bounced around and changing trainers and being like, you know, uh Amir Khan or even uh, whose career suffered from changing trainers. And even a De La Hoya, I would say, uh, even though De La Hoya has accomplished a lot and, and pretty much uh, done so much in his career and never shied away from challenges, I think his career would have gone a little bit more better if he stayed within uh, uh, within with one trainer or, or a couple of trainers and, and, and didn't bounce around so often because he had to uh, adjust to different types of training so often. And, and many times he was fighting the wrong type of fight at the, you know, he was fighting the wrong type of fight at the wrong time. And I think Joshua could fall into that. I think he's looking for something uh, that, that he may need to look within for. But if I, if he's going to leave his, you know, his trainer, I, I've seen a lot of names get thrown out there. Uh, Reynoso, I think is, even though he's a, he's a great uh, trainer, I think he, he might be a little stacked right now with what he has and may not be able to devote the time to Joshua that Joshua might be looking for. Uh, it's interesting because the, the 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 best trainer that I think is for him is a trainer that he probably shouldn't get, which is, would be Sugar Hill because Sugar Hill is the trainer of Tyson Fury. But then again, of course, we we saw how what happened in the '90s with Emmanuel Stewart with uh, Oliver McCall and Lennox Lewis, and how Stewart bounced around between training a lot of those heavyweight guys who fought each other. So who knows what happens, you know, with within that realm. But I do think Sugar Hill is probably the best trainer idealistically for him. But if I had to choose, I would go probably. Uh, I mean, Ronald Sh- Ronnie Shields is not a bad choice. He's a he's a good trainer, and 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 I think Virgil Hunter is, is a is a pretty pretty good trainer, and that would be on top of my list. But who knows? That's up to Anthony Joshua, and I think his his issues is more mental, and he's gonna have to face those mental demons if he wants to, especially if he wants to overcome a Usyk. Or Fury. Now, like you said, he, like uh, Manuel Stewart, when you bring him up, also Manuel Stewart did a good job with those heavyweights, even with Klitschko, right? Um, where he had um, Lennox Lewis, too. Like Lennox Lewis, his style, he just had all type of physical attributes, but he just wasn't able to put it together until he got with Stewart. Stewart just short certain little small things up, and he became a monster, you know? Now, as far as Joshua switching trainers, regardless of who it is, and like you said, it seems like Shields is the leading candidate. My question, I would have two questions first. One is, what is Shields going to teach him that McCracken hasn't taught him, you know, or that that he, he didn't teach, you know, at this point? The other thing is, will he have time to master those skills that he's trying to embed into um, Joshua's style? Like, will he have time to do that before the next Usyk fight? Because typically what happens if you just have one camp that you may start off doing those things, but when a rubber meets the road, that you just fall and resort back into the style that you naturally know how to do. And as you alluded to, I don't think it's as much of his boxing as it is 
the two areas that he needs help with that you really can't teach those things, right? So no one's going to strengthen his chin. You know, his chin always going to be a question. And then his heart, you know, those are the two things that has shown to be his Achilles heel, you know, when he's faced, you know, certain opponents. Now, the other thing that I noticed, I read and he said, he sent out either a tweet or an email to Shields. And he says that he wants Shields to turn him into a dog. And he also said, turn me into the best dog you can. With all of this dog talk, to me, he sounded more like Clifford, the big red dog. You know what I mean? Soft and, you know, he cracked easy like watermelon. He'd be big, but he cracked easy like watermelon. You know what I mean? So just even suggesting that, even talking about turn me into, nobody, you got to be a dog. You got to. It's like a killer. You know what I'm saying? You can look into somebody's eyes like, yeah, that dude right there is a killer. And it's nothing that somebody taught him. It's like dogs. You know what I'm saying? If you talk about dogs, like you don't have to say anything about a Rockweiler. You see that Rockweiler, you know what that Rockweiler is about. You know what I mean? So it's not about somebody teaching you those things, especially when you are 30, mid-30s and stuff like that. That now, Now, what could help him is a change of environment. You know, that might help him, you know, as opposed to being out there in Britain and, you know, getting ready for tea time and croissants and stuff like that. You know, you might want to come to Houston, you know, with Shields, you know, stay down in the fifth war. You know what I mean? If he does get somebody like one of those guys from Detroit, as you mentioned, Vail, maybe he want to, you know, stay over there in that Fishhorn area, you know, Carbon Carbon Works, you know, Bart McFarland, you know, in the hood, you know, but only thing with that, you know, it's going to come with some consequences. I don't want old AJ messing around and be, you know, hanging out in those areas. Next thing you know, he become like this this big time thug. You know what I'm saying? Be out here selling beef. You know what I mean? But but on a serious note, man, I just don't see it. I, I don't see what he can do. And that it, it, it won't hurt, though, like to get more information. But I don't know if that's going to propel him enough in order to be successful against Usyk. I think he has to ha- already have certain attributes that he seems to be looking for that can be taught, you know? So, but we'll see. Hopefully I I, I wish the best for AJ because he seems like a pretty good fellow. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. I'll keep mine short. I think that based on Shields' heavyweight pedigree and the time frame that he's working with, I think Shields would probably be the best choice. If he were to choose Shields or regardless of who he choose, I would still keep McCracken in as like a, you know, an assistant trainer or something like that, I would still want him in my corner. Now, if this was a scenario where AJ was going back to the drawing board and wanted to rebuild from the ground up and then maybe face Usyk in a few years, I would maybe lean Reynoso because we've seen how he's kind of changed Valdez. But we also seen it's taking a few fights for him to be able to fully implement that. A dark horse that I thought about because of the mental aspect that you guys have brought up, which I agree with as well, is I think about when Fury was coming back and the mental demons that he had to overcome and how, and I granted they're different demons, uh, different mentals, but, you know, I think about how Ben Davison helped him with that and how he credited Davison. And so I wonder if for the mental aspect, if Davison would even be a good trainer. Like, so it's almost like, is he better just going back to the UK and working with him? Now, granted, I don't, you know, that would be again, a dark horse, but, it is something that crossed my mind, but, you know, we kind of working with a, a short time frame here and yeah, in short, I think that 
based on the options and based on the time frame, Shields is probably the way to go here. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, and I agree with, with what you're saying. And I know that you didn't mean it in this way. But like Fury with him, nobody ever questioned his grit. Nobody ever questioned his his uh, his goal. You know what I mean? Like even when you listen to that's what separated him from the other guys. Um, that like when if you listen to the Emmanuel Stewart interview when he was praising Fury and Wilder, he was saying that that was the difference between him and those heavyweights that they were looking to to be the next in line after Klitschko. Because they asked him like, "Who do you see in the future?" He was talking about Fury. He just had such high praise for Fury because Fury was just so comfortable in his own skin anywhere that he went. Like he'd mm-hmm. take Fury wherever. And people just love Fury. And it was just Fury being him. And like Joshua Hole, they again they did him a disservice. And a lot of guys are going to reach this proverbial fork in a road because they are, like I say, you can't miss steps. You have to check off all of the boxes. And it should be done early in your formative years as a fighter. Like when you jumping and grabbing belts early and you haven't mastered certain nuances of the game, it's going to be exploited at certain points because now that you have the belt, it's only certain amount of limited level of opposition that you can face. And so you're going to be fighting these elite guys and they're going to take advantage of those things um, because you never address them. And that's where he is as far as some of those little nuance type things, but also the mental part that if he had overcome certain challenges against lesser opposition, then he'll be more confident when he gets into those situations now at the elite level. But now he's get, he's going to get exploited. And and masters of the game like Usyk and guys like that, they're going to see right through that. Like he, They're just going to put him in a position where he's going to be uncomfortable. What I would suspect, if he gets a new trainer, I, I would think that early in the fight that he'll probably do better, like the first two, three rounds. Kind of similar to Wilder. You know what I mean? Like how he got, you know, and it's like you said, um, Danny, you need, if you get a new trainer and you're going to fight an elite guy, you have to take fights in between to see how, what I'm learning, how it's working and what I need to get better at, what I don't need to do because I'm really not good at that. So, but I took this other fight first, you know, to work those things out. You can't go into another fight against that elite guy and you still have questions about, you know, little things that you learn. And only when you're doing it is in training. You haven't had an actual fight to master those things that you need to have mastered in order to be successful. And so that's something that he has to, um, you know, figure out, you know, if he decides to go with one of these new guys. Anything else, fellas? No, sir. That's all I got. Actually, but before we go, uh, I also want to shout out Troy Isley from Alexandria Boxing Club because he was on that undercard, that Stevenson Herring undercard, and this was his first pro fight back after the Olympics run that he had, and uh, he got the early stoppage. So shout out to that brother. Shout out to that brother. What about your boy Keyshawn? How's he doing? Has he had any fights recently? Um, I don't think he he hasn't fought since the Olympics. I think he has a fight coming up though. Okay. Okay. Shout out to, uh, you know, your area, you know, them fellas, you know, they'd be out there. They'd be cracking, you know, so there's a lot of good boxing or boxers out in the, in Virginia, you know, just the DMV all over, you know, in this, in this, in this yeah. region. Shout out to those guys. You got anything, Bill? No, I'm, I'm cool. And 
yeah, you know, next week that fight between uh, Dillian White's fight has been postponed. He got injured, so we won't be able to to uh, you know discuss that fight. That would have been interesting to see him in action next week to see if he can get the victory in order to be able to uh, put himself in position to fight Fury. But you know, we'll have some other topics for you. But hopefully you enjoyed the episode. I know I certainly did, man. Those were some really good topics, very interesting um, topics that we discussed this week. Um, you know, stay tuned and, and check us out on social media and put as many segments as I can, I possibly can this week. A little bit busier this week, so I don't know if I'll be able to put as much. But, you know, all in all, you know, keep checking us out, keep supporting, and have a great week. Peace. Peace. Is there a peace?